Russia is at war, fighting beyond old Soviet borders for the first time since its crushing defeat in Afghanistan. Coming to the rescue of Bashar al-Assad's repressive regime, President Putin turned the tables in the Middle East, challenging US dominance. Iraq, Iraq Libya and Syria have plunged into chaos and anarchy, but putting Russia directly in the line of fire. Moscow had already surprised the West with its aggressive intervention in Ukraine. And with Crimea now firmly under its control, Russia is flexing its muscles again. But has Putin bitten off more than he can chew? Russian aggression is a threat to the global order, to the European security, and is a threat to NATO member states. Back at home, critics say he's becoming a dictator and Russia a police state. Many Russians, especially in Moscow, are not going to accept Vladimir Putin as a legitimate president. But many adore him for restoring their nation's pride. Thank you to all those who said yes to a great Russia. My guest tonight is a Putin supporter who thinks Russia has had a bad press in the West for far too long. It is the West who pushed Russia to the corner, and now Russia has shown the red line. I'm Mehdi Hassan, and I've come here to the Oxford Union to go head-to-head -head with Natalia Narochnitskaya, the Russian ultranationalist and former politician. I'll ask her whether Russia is trying to reclaim its old empire in Europe, and why exactly is President Putin backing the brutal Assad regime in Syria? Tonight, I'll also be joined by Masha Karp, a UK-based journalist from Russia and a trustee of the Rights in Russia NGO. Martin McCauley, British historian and author on Russia and a former lecturer at University College London. And Vasil Miroshnichenko, co-founder of the Ukraine Crisis Media Center and director of the Ukrainian British City Club. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Natalia Narochnitskaya. Narochnitskaya was a representative of the Motherland Party and vice chairman of the Russian Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. She currently heads the Institute for Democracy and Cooperation, a conservative think tank based in Paris. <laughs> Natalia, Russia opposed the West's military interventions in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya. Uh, they said it would destabilize the region. They said they would lead to more extremism. And yet, when Russia's only ally in the region, Bashar al-Assad, is in trouble, Russia then sends in its own warplanes, its own bombers. Is that not the height of hypocrisy on Russia's part? No, it is not. But of course, we understand that after already three pillar states of the Middle Eastern equilibrium, which is proven to be so fragile now, uh, were ruined, like Egypt already, then Libya, Iraq. There is such a chaos and turmoil that if you crush a Syri the Syrian state, then there will be such chaos which will endanger not only Europe, like it is doing already now, but Russia too. 
So we are not at all uh, such fans of uh, Bashar Assad. We know that. Uh, you say he... you're not a fan of Bashar al-Assad. You said that Syria was a wonderful secular state, and that the only quote proper army in a sovereign state resisting ISIL is the Syrian army and Assad. The problem for you, surely, is that many analysts, most analysts, would agree that the Syrian army and Assad have helped fuel the rise of ISIL by killing tens of thousands of innocent Syrians. So if you wanted to stop chaos and violence in the Middle East, why wouldn't you first start by stopping your ally Assad from doing the killing? Well, he is not our ally and, you and just coordinated. just fund him as a favor? We do that only to restore the equilibrium in the Middle East because the ISIL state poses much more danger to the whole world than the Syrian authoritarian regime. And we are not insisting anymore that Assad must stay by all means. And of course now maybe you know that Russia uh, is in contact with some parts of so-called Syrian opposition. Uh, when Americans accused us um, that uh, we... Uh, the Syrian opposition say that you're bombing them, you're not bombing ISIL. Jamil al-Saleh, a Syrian rebel commander, says, I want the world to know that the Russians appear to be here not to fight ISIL, but to help Assad regime exterminate the free Syrian army. No, I, I don't agree with this information because I have read totally different data about it, of course, uh, and uh, I, I have seen even the contacts with uh, Syrian, some Syrian free army. For instance, there are some places where part of the region is controlled by the ISIL and another part of the city is controlled by the uh, free Syrian army and uh, they cope. I mean, Isn't it no. ironic and tragic that in the very first month that you started bombing Syria, more than 200 Russians were killed on an airliner over Egypt, and according to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, in October, Russian airstrikes left 185 civilians dead, 131 ISIL fighters. So in, in Syria, you're killing more Syrian civilians than ISIL fighters, and outside of Syria, no. you're losing more civilians no, no, than ISIL no, fighters. No. Of course, uh, in such a turmoil like uh, we have in Syria, uh, for any program, you have collect uh, facts of some civilians killed by these forces and another party who is participating in the debates will bring you the data that uh, so many were killed by the other side, etc. Your foreign minister, Russia's foreign minister's solution to the Syrian conflict is for the country to have elections for a new parliament and a new president. How do you have free and fair elections in a country in which more than half the population has been displaced by that government? Or are these free and fair elections Russian style? In this country, in this country, in this country, uh, a lot of uh, Syrians were displaced not by the government action, the but vast majority because, been because, by the, because uh, the crimes of ISIL and uh, extremists in the Middle East have outdone 100 times the sins of Syrian government, oh, come on. Which, ha which hasn't been, Do of you course... you know that uh, in the first six months of this year, the Assad regime killed seven times as many people as ISIL did? It's not Assad who cut the heads. It's no, not he did not cut the heads, but he did drop barrel bombs on various towns and cities in Syria, killing dozens of children in marketplaces. Well, the, issue, so that, the blood the, from that barrel bombs is surely on the Russian government. No. No, don't be so tricky so that every fact of... Yeah, every Did he not drop barrel bombs, Natalia? How is that tricky? You said executions. I agree with you. ISIL carry out horrible beheadings. I'm now asking you, do you also agree that Assad drops barrel bombs on towns with Russian support? Is ISIL lesser danger than him? Even if I were to agree with you that they were equal dangers. The point is, no one They're here is defending ISIL, dangers. but you're defending Assad. They are not... 
I, I do not defend Assad because I have never been fan of Assad. But Apart in from politics, you a when you see, state. when you have in Libya, uh, of course, who can be a fan of uh, Colonel Gaddafi? But still, girls were attending schools there, and said, "What is happening now? The country is totally destroyed." And, and uh, no, one's, no one's defending that. And we're talking about no, Syria. But you want Syria uh, to have the same plight as Syria is already in a much worse position than Libya. No, there's, it will be in a worse. Millions of people have left the country. There are hundreds of thousands of dead. It's the worst humanitarian disaster in the world right now, and Russia is on one side of it. So you are going to accuse Russia of uh, what is uh, happening in Syria? I think so I have Ru been doing Russia, that for the past five Ru minutes. Russia started it. Russia is partly responsible for going on, yes. yes. You are arming and funding a dictator. Who has started all this? Bashar al-Assad did by killing his people. Let's bring in our panel, uh, who have been waiting patiently to come in. Uh, Masha Karp is a Russian, a journalist, a trustee of the Rights in Russia NGO. Uh, Masha, is Putin... Uh, acting in Russia's interests in intervening in Syria? Are Russians uh, safer now because he's intervened in Syria? No, of course not, because what he is doing is detrimental for Russia, is dangerous for the world, and the only beneficiary of it is the current Russian regime. It doesn't realize complexities of the region. Uh, it wants uh, to stop the chaos, but obviously it only increases it. Uh, Putin actually even mentioned somewhere that he doesn't know the difference between Sunnis and Shia, and he doesn't realize that in Russia there are 19 million million Muslims, nearly all of who are Sunnis. So that just shows that he went in there just to show the West that he, or the Russia, Russian regime, can be a partner of the world. And why did he do that? Because he wanted the world to forget about Ukraine. Let me bring in uh, Martin McCauley, who's a British historian, former lecturer at University College London. He's written several books about the Soviet Union and about Russia. Martin, why do you think he's doing it? He's doing it because uh, he sees ISIL as an existential threat to Russia. If ISIL wins in Syria, it moves into the Caucasus. As you've said, there are 19 million Muslims in Russia. Moscow has the largest Muslim population uh, in uh, Europe. It will move into Central Asia and so on. And therefore, uh, it will destabilize Russia. So therefore, it's an existential threat to Russia. You don't think that actually intervening in Syria or Russians, Russia's Muslims seeing that he's on the side of Assad, who's been killing a fair few Muslims, will actually radicalize Russian Muslims? Uh, that may do so. That's a danger. But the other thing is that uh, the, you have a conflict now in the Middle East in which you have a secular Assad regime and you have an Islamist uh, ISIL regime and so on. And, and everyone is taking sides. Iran, Hezbollah, Russia on one side. The, uh, Russia sees Assad as a, as a temporary uh, leader. He's not really very important. You say temporary, they've had four years to get rid of him and they didn't. <laughs> yes, but, but uh, he in fact is only a figurehead okay. and he will move away. Let me bring in uh, Vasil Miroshnichenko, who is the co-founder of the Ukraine Crisis Media Center, director of the Ukrainian British City Club. Uh, Vasil, uh, ISIL are an existential threat to Russia and the region, and therefore Russia is entitled to go into Syria. What's your response to that argument? Well, look, firstly, I don't believe that Putin can really contribute to peace in Syria, because as uh, all the speakers have pointed out, it was Bashar al-Assad who is actually to blame for ISIS, for Daesh, to be recruiting people, because the Sunnis who are trapped there, they have no other option but to actually go to them to fight Bashar al-Assad. This is hybrid warfare 2.0. 
All he wants, he wants to distract attention from Ukraine. He doesn't care about Syria. He doesn't care about Syria. He cares about Ukraine. Well, let's talk about Ukraine. Uh, former NATO Secretary General Anders Foz Rasmussen and Natalia, he sat here on this show earlier this year. He sat in that very chair. And he said to me, quote, we are pretty close to a new Cold War because of Russia's illegal actions in Ukraine. Do you agree that we're in the middle of a new Cold War, on the verge of a new Cold War because of Ukraine? No, I believe that we are similar to the period just before the Second World War when there is already obvious a major danger to Europe and to the world. And uh, the Soviet Union then uh, proposed 100 times to have a collective uh, treaty uh, guaranteed the borders of uh, countries surrounding Germany and the West refused. That pertains to the ISIL and to the uh, Middle East question. What about Ukraine? Of course we do care about Ukraine. Uh, my, my ancestors, my ancestors are from Ukraine. But uh, there was a coup d'etat in Kyiv. The constitution was dismissed. Even uh, the mandate of uh, president uh, went to the speaker of parliament whether under constitution it should go to the prime minister. The constitutional court was dismissed. Let's assume there was a coup d'etat. There's a division of opinion on that, of course, whether it was a coup or not. Crimea was taken by the Russians, annexed in violation of international law, most Crimea, lawyers would argue. Crimea the UN General Assembly. And, uh, Why do you think 100 countries at the UN condemned the annexation of Crimea? 100. Only 11 countries voted with Russia. Why do you think that is? Because it's politics. A politics, politics 10 to 1. The, 21st century. the politics in the 21st century. It's not century. because the United Nations recognizes national borders and sovereignty and says you can't just change the borders of a country. You talked about well, common the borders. The international law, let me, let me just finish. Okay. The international law teaches now that self-determination right uh, is observed, but the principle of territorial uh, integrity prevails, that's true, only but in a case when self-determination rights are combined with so-called, it's in the test books of international law, when the people maintain uh, historical, linguistic, cultural, and other types of connection with the maternal or, or. state. So you support the idea that Crimea, on this your reading of international law, Crimea had the right to leave Ukraine and be part of Russia on the basis of self-determination? I think so. Okay, so when will Russia be holding a referendum in Chechnya and in Dagestan for those places to go independent? <laughs> Let them do it. You're in support of that? You're happy for Chechnya to leave the Russian Federation and become independent or join another country? They don't Seriously. want it. They don't want it. But if they did, you're totally, you support Chechen independence under a referendum in which the Chechens that voted yes. That depends always on how the people's will is expressed. If it's expressed by the bandits and gangsters and criminals... Because there were no courts, bandits or gangsters in Crimea, were there? There were no, no men in masks. No. But we just imagined those people But on if our there screens. are teachers, students, wow. engineers, doctors voting calmly on their... Uh, expressing their free will, it's different. So don't make... Chechnya doesn't want to leave uh, Russia. They uh, now well, are after flourishing you bombed them more for several years and killed hundreds of thousands of people, I guess not. When Crimea was annexed by Russia, you said that for the first time in 20 years of political life, you felt happy. The West had pushed Russia into a corner, you said, and finally Russia has shown its red line. I'm just wondering, is the red line now fixed in place or is it going to move geographically into other areas, no. perhaps in the region? That's it? Or are we going to see some more redrawing of borders? 
in that area. Russia has proven through 25 years that it is ready and uh, absolutely tolerating Ukraine's, you know, floating this and that, and so, under only one condition uh, that was shown and obvious that Ukraine doesn't enter NATO. Ukraine didn't enter NATO. Even in September, before the Maidan started, Russia has no idea of what uh, then happened, etc., and had Ukraine no plans. Did not enter, plans. Ukraine did not enter NATO. It's the West who refused, uh, who wanted to uh, create from Ukraine a battlefield between East and West, and it's Americans. You that don't want Ukraine Russia to join NATO. in cooperation with Ukraine is still a, a, a superpower, but, but without you, Ukraine, with I, Ukraine as enemy is no more su can superpower. Can I give some friendly advice to the mm -hmm. Russian government via you. If you don't want your neighbor to join a military alliance, best not to invade and occupy part of that country, because the first thing they want to do is join Very a military good. alliance. Very good. Why are you so on the side of NATO on the I'm American on the side of NATO. Yes, of course Maybe you, you should watch the show I did with the former head of NATO, I where know. I put all these arguments to In eastern Ukraine, are there Russian forces in eastern Ukraine? Not Russian forces. <laughs> Separate Russians, uh, Russians, yes, but not Russian forces. So it's when, a different legally at all. So when a Russian, so do you mean there are, you know, squads or parts of the yes, army with yes, tanks crossing? Yes, that's exactly what I'm asking. No. Okay. So no. when a Russian special forces soldier, Dmitry Shapnikov, tells the BBC that he and his fellow troops were in Ukraine, when captured soldier in Ukraine, Alexander Anatolievich identifies himself as a Russian ser serviceman in the Russian armed forces. What were they doing there? Sightseeing, taking a tour? It is denied. It is denied by? By officials. Do you agree with them? I quite agree, but I believe that there are some Russian soldiers, of course, and officers. I don't deny that. But legally, every country, when it's helping uh, the situation according to the interest and according to the appeal, they do it legally correct. But it's not illegal for Russian soldiers to be in Ukraine under any reading of international law. Was it legal for American specialists in all places where they have been? Was it legal for Americans to be in Iraq? Mm. No. Mm. Okay, Good. back to the question. Was it illegal? Is it legal for Russian forces to be in Ukraine? Mm -hmm. There are no forces. Don't use the term forces. Okay, let's uh, bring the panel in. Um, Vasil. Respond to some of what you've heard from well, Natalia. Well, I think this is a very clear example of the Russian hypocrisy because there were so many references to international public law, which Russia has blatantly violated, the Budapest Memorandum, most importantly. So Russia has actually undermined the entire security system in Europe, and actually Europe and NATO is, are under threat. The whole system was undermined. And I think this is actually what Russia is good at doing. You know, this is aggression abroad, oppression at home. Land-grabbing operation in Crimea was one of those cynical operations. Look, Ukraine Crimea has many deposits of oil and gas in the Black Sea shelf. For Russia, it was actually an existential threat if Ukraine developed its own oil and gas resources. So they just grabbed Crimea. You see what's going on. In the Budapest Memorandum... This is the 1994 agreement. 1994 agreement. There is no brackets, no asterisk, no footnote that if Russia does not like Ukrainian government, they can attack Ukraine. Martin, is Russia in defiance of international law in what it's doing in Crimea in eastern Ukraine? It depends how you define international law, because international law is based in English law and American law. In other words, it's a Western concept uh, which has um, dominated the world since 1945, and Russia does not accept certain tenets of that law, nor does China 
Russia didn't plan the takeover of Crimea. It was opportunistic. Uh, the Maidan, uh, the uh, EU, demand to Yanukovych, choose between us and Russia, started the Maidan when he chose Russia, started the Maidan uh, events, and then the opportunity was there for Russia to intervene in Crimea. Masha, do you want to I just to didn't quite understand who started the Maidan, because I think uh, that's a very typical thing of the Russian government and its supporters, that they do not realize that ordinary people can protest, can do revolutions, can try and, uh, and, and fight the governments they don't like. The, the Russians always think that there is Washington somewhere behind it. Uh, they think that during the protests in 2011 in Russia, when people were protesting against the rigged elections, that there was also Washington behind it. Just recently, somebody said that the protests of Russian long-distance drivers were organized from Washington. So no, Washington has nothing else to do but to organize protests. That's very uh, briefly, and, and I want to bring Very briefly. Look, the key difference between Ukraine and Russia is that we have contestability in Ukraine. We can vote. We can. We have NGOs. We have free media, and if nothing else, else works, we protest. There is nothing like that in Russia. Of course, uh, you depict Russia as such a black hole in the universe, incarnation of evil and no democracy. Okay, but, but deal of with the specific point Russians about Ukrainians. Ukrainians want to change, and they've proved that in elections. They proved that the in Maidan. The Maidan started as a protest against Ordinary oligarchy, Ukrainian. mafia, uh, corruption, and uh, there is no uh, doubt that Yanukovych regime was not, a perf not, not only the perfect, but a symbol uh, of all that. But the extremist, uh, fascist forces were m made an instrument. Fascists. No, fascist. It Do you know how many seats the neo-Nazi party Svoboda has in the Ukrainian parliament right now? Well, believe me. Do you know how many seats there? Svoboda lost. How many seats do they have in the parliament? Very few. Six. Six, yes. That was a great fascist coup by good. them. Yes. Just dial in the internet, for instance, torch processions in Kyiv. You will see that every 1st of January, there are fascists with bandera, with even swastikas, with torch burning, walking down the streets, and there are thousands of the them. Russian, the Russian authorities don't have problems with fascists when they're on their side. Come no. On. Our fascists do not demonstrate on streets. And no, they you just... <laughs> you, <laughs> come on. Natalia, fascists and Holocaust deniers are welcome in Russia when they're on the Russian no, government. No, they're not welcome. So the Duma, the Russian Duma hasn't hosted Golden Dawn from Greece, hasn't hosted Jobbik from Hungary. Have they not hosted these parties? Golden Dawn is an openly neo-Nazi party. It's been hosted in the Duma. They were. What, what do you mean by hosted? I meant they walked through the door and Russian parliamentarians came and shook their hands. <laughs> some, some deputies, of course. Uh, no, the Speaker so of the Parliament was involved with both is, the Front National, is, is, is the Golden Jobbik Dawn, party and Jobbik. Is part of the uh, Hungarian Parliament? Yes. Yes, but then how so can you call them... Uh, very easily, fascist parties can be part of parliaments. Golden Dawn has neo-Nazi swastikas on its flags, was hosted in the Duma. Marine Le Pen is a regular visitor to Moscow from the French Marine National Front. Marine Le Pen Front. is not a fascist party, okay. but of course I have no connection we're gonna with have Marine to, Le Pen, uh, and I haven't spoken to any of them. On that note, we're going to have to take a pause. Uh, Join me after the break uh, in Head to Head. In part two, we'll be discussing human rights, democracy, the media in Vladimir Putin's Russia. That's after the break.
Welcome back to Head to Head on Al Jazeera English. My guest tonight is Natalia Narodnitskaya, the former Russian politician, diplomat, historian. Um, Natalia, Mikhail Gorbachev, the former president of the Soviet Union, he said that he used to like Putin in his early years and that he supported him in the West and got a lot of flack for it. Recently, Gorbachev said Putin has begun to, quote, lean towards autocracy. People are yet again being pushed out of politics, Gorbachev added, not being entrusted with the simplest of things. There are again slave drivers and herdsmen everywhere. That's from a man, Gorbachev, who publicly supported the annexation of Crimea, who used to be a Putin defender. So what? So, Why so is for do you agree you, with him? Uh, he, his uh, opinion is, uh, well, I couldn't care less about his opinion. Fair enough. So, but deal with the so, underlying so, critique. So I, I, I'm, I, I have been in politics for 25 years, and the worst undemocratic rule was Yeltsin's rule, because, for instance, during the time of his coup d'etat, when they dismissed and shot the legitimate parliament, he banned all the newspapers and TV programs who might produce some uh, opinion against this act before they even had time to publish anything. There was no discussions. So don't, uh, you must, uh, in the West, have at least no double standards. Okay, people who don't deal in double standards, human rights groups who criticize everyone. Amnesty International says since Putin's victory in 2012, 5,100 protesters and activists have been arrested. Human Rights Watch says the human rights situation in Russia continues to deteriorate with a level of anti-Western hysteria unseen since the Soviet era and a crackdown intensifying on civil society, the media, and the internet. But, you know. <laughs> Russia is a normal country with its sins and with its virtues. And there are always uh, something bad and something wrong. I don't like everything that is going on in okay, our country. Okay, so deal country. with what I raised. So, I didn't so, raise anything so about normal countries. I simply course, asked 5,000 protesters rounded up since 2012, arrested. Is that a good thing? Is that a normal thing? No, it's thing? not a good thing, but we don't know what they... Some, uh, I, I will not say for everybody, but some uh, human rights activists want to be arrested to attract attention. I'm not speaking for all at all, but we know such cases because they lost so much uh, now on the basis that public opinion in Russia is very pro-Putin. That's the results of all public polls. So those critics or even those who hate him, they lost influence and they okay. want to attract people. It in doesn't mean there are no breaches of human well, rights. Well, let's of talk about some of the some. breaches of human rights. Yes. In February 2015, prominent opposition figure Boris Nemtsov was gunned down outside the Kremlin shortly before he was about to produce his report on Russian military involvement in eastern Ukraine. His, doc his daughter called it an act of political retribution and said that the state news channels were responsible for methodically fermenting hatred of her father and other opposition figures who were presented as traitors to the nation. We may never cover the truth behind his death. But isn't it fair to say that the Putin media if machine contributed to it at a very minimum? Boris Nemtsov, whom I knew, to think that Boris Nemtsov posed any danger to government, or that, 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 that means to not to understand anything in Russian political life. Who, who needed his death? Fine, you who needed the government, the Kremlin? Well, just he was about to the publish Kremlin a report wall. saying the opposite of what the government it, says about Ukraine. All serious experts think that it was done against well, let, Putin. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this question such then. prominent among the isn't opposition it weird, Natalia, people. Isn't it weird that so many of Putin's critics and enemies, whether opposition figures, uh, investigative journalists, former spies, they just seem to have this bad habit of getting assassinated. It's kind of a weird coincidence, is it not? 
that they all just die in weird circumstances. Who always die? Well, who died? We mentioned Boris Nemtsov. There's Alexander Litvinenko, who was poisoned here in the UK with polonium. The British police, the barrister represented the police, said the only credible explanation are you is going that to, are you the going only to credible explanation was that the Russian state was involved in Mr. Litvinenko's murder. You, you really think Litvinenko was murdered by Russians? You ignoring I'm telling you what the, the, the investigation recent, says. the recent results of investigation that has nothing to do with with Russia. Who who needed his death? Well, at least there should be Kubono. Well, well, uh, well, the British inquiry thinks it was the Russians. The, his family think it was the Russians. Leading physicists think it was the Russians. A fair few people think it was the Russians. No. So no Boris. No, no Boris Nemtsov, no regardless Alexander Litvinenko. Let's any, keep going. Anna Politskovskaya. Of, regardless of any of my political views, I'm sincerely thinking okay. that Fine. Litvinenko's death was needed not by Russia, Fine. but so Russia didn't need his against death. Russia. They didn't need Boris Nemtsov's death. Anna no, Politskovskaya, the award-winning investigative journalist, was killed in 2006. The judge in her case said it was politically motivated. In March 2008, two TV journalists were killed the day after their names were put on an official media blacklist. The founder of the Week Kremlin critical magazine Chernovik was killed in 2011. Being a journalist who's critical of the Putin government in Russia today doesn't seem to be too good for your life expectancy. No, it's absolutely safe. So then what about these people who are dead? Just coincidence that you get killed a day after you're put on a media blacklist. The journalists might be killed in Russia because of their uh, commercial things engagements like it was the I remember in the 90s with the killing of the Vesti producer Listiev for instance it is proven there because the problem you have Natalia is you say on the one hand Russia is a normal country and then on the other hand in most normal countries investigative journalists critics of the government don't just drop dead from time to time in mysterious circumstances they are not drop dead because they are persecuted Believe why, they, me. why are they all killed then? What's the common theme? There are some killings in Russia, and that's bad, but the criminal situation isn't good. And, 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 that's and when the Kremlin talks of fifth columnists, when Putin talks of uh, national traitors, that doesn't contribute to an atmosphere in which critics of the government are killed. Well, Russians' political vocabulary differs a little bit uh, from the Western. Is, is it more harsh? And for us, for instance, doesn't mean as much as you. For instance, like what? In 2012, a thousand Russians who were protesting Putin were attacked by riot police and detained. Human Rights Watch called it the worst political crackdown in Russia's post-Soviet history. Are those people on the streets? Are they not your fellow Russians? Do you not worry about them? There are many opposition leaders now, and they are These all... These were ordinary people, a thousand people. They were not politicians. They were people protesting against what they thought were fraudulent elections. They were attacked, they were detained. Oh, I, rem I, I remember the case you talking about. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, it is proven perfectly well that they were provoking the police. And, and I, a thousand people. You see, you see, you see, the, uh, you see the videos, and they, it's not fake. Let me go back to our panel who've been waiting to come in. Masha Karp is a Russian, a journalist, a trustee of the Rights in Russia NGO. Masha, when the president of Russia says that people are national traitors and fifth columnists, that's just how you and your people talk. Well, I, I was wondering about these terms, because one of the terms with which uh, they now label Russian NGOs, particularly the ones that the government doesn't like, is foreign agent. In the Russian language, foreign agent is a spy, is somebody who a foreign uh, state has sent 
to uh, do something to do harm for Russia. And so obviously anybody who thinks differently from the government is immediately labeled. There are over 100 NGOs in Russia today labeled like this. One of them is Memorial Society that is that has been all these years investigating Stalin's crimes. Ministry of Justice Ministry of Justice said that Memorial Society was undermining the constitutional order in Russia. So are we getting back to Stalin's times? I'm among the, uh, those who criticize this term. Agents has some flavor of uh, you're being not, You're not in favor of that thing not, that's not going. for that term, but at least uh, the, the purpose of that law, which I can defend, was to to show the public that the public knows who is financing so foreign financial institutions or domestic ones and uh, i think the russian public uh, has right to know okay martin mccauley vladimir putin is it fair to call him an authoritarian leader he's a strong leader because i don't think uh, russia is a strong state i don't think it's really a stable state it's a fragile state and you have to look at russia Russia and the Soviet Union collapsed twice in the 20th century. So you can't really judge Russia against England or America. When was the last time there was a revolution in America? 18th century? England, uh, 17th century? It's very stable political and legal institutions. How does that reflect on things like journalists being killed, dissidents being killed? You can have strong government without having a strong government that kills its opponents, allegedly. That would reveal that the legal institutions are not strong enough to prevent it where uh, the legal institutions in England, Britain, or the United States would be. They're not in that situation, so therefore blame the weak legal institutions. So you think Russia needs a leader like Putin at yes. this stage in its history? Because the okay. intelligentsia has gone over, uh, they now support him. You go back to 2012, they opposed him. Many of them, now they support him, and they see him, because if he goes, there's chaos. They fear chaos. Therefore, they need a strong leader. But Masha, Masha, you would have to accept you're Russian, but your fellow Russians do like Putin. He's massively popular in Russia. He wins elections. Polls show that they support his foreign policy and domestic policy. Well, Stalin had uh, not 86, but 99.9%. What does it tell you? It tells you that people, even today, are still afraid to tell you exactly, an interviewer exactly what they... Do you believe there is a silent majority in Russia who's not, who are not fans of Putin? Really? Well, I'm sure there is, but also I'm, I'm sure that there are people who are brainwashed by Russian propaganda. Because when Russian television shows you every day how Ukrainians uh, crucify little boys or things like that, you would love Putin like, uh, just like Orwell's okay. hero loved Big Brother. You know, Vassal, propaganda works. Okay, Vassal Miroshenko, co-founder of the Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Um, Ukrainians, as you said earlier, they've revolted against against uh, a president they didn't like. They had elections after that. Do you think that's ever going to happen in Russia anytime soon? Never. It's never going to happen in Russia. But you see, this is a problem because the biggest tragedy for Putin is actually the collapse of the Soviet Union. He wants to revive Soviet Union, and of course, he doesn't recognize Ukraine as a nation. He stated it many times. He said it's a temporary thing on the map of Europe. Now that we were invaded by Russians, the only protection for us is actually NATO. Do you worry that no matter how popular Putin is at home, Today, Russia's more isolated than it's been for a long time in the international aid. He subjected your country to sanctions. Uh, there's been a currency crisis. There's been all sorts of economic problems. He hasn't been so good for your country in terms of its image, its reputation, its standing in the world. 
Well, I, uh, I'm very sad that uh, Ukrainian people hate Putin. I'm, I'm really very sad about that. But, but there is no isolation of Russia. Russia can't be isolated because it's a great power. Let's go to our audience who have been very patient, waiting to come in. Uh, raise your hands and I'll try and come to as many of you as I can. Gentlemen here in the front row. I would like to ask you about this disaster with airplane that happened in Sinai. The question is the following. After nearly two weeks of silence, Putin finally stepped up and said, this is the terror attack. We will kill this and punish these people where they can be found. It's a disaster and so on. On the, and we will do all possible means to punish these okay. people. But on the other hand, when it happens with MH17, he applied all possible means to prevent punishment of the terrorists who destroyed this airplane. The Malaysian airline flight that went yes, down over Ukraine. Yes, Malaysian one, including veto of Security Council to prevent punishment of these terrorists. Mm -hmm. So does it mean for the, Mr. Putin has good terrorists and bad terrorists? No, I understand. I understand what you mean. From the very beginning, Russian side was proposing to have a full commission on the, uh, to explore the, all the details of the, this uh, uh, Malaysian Airlines uh, crash, etc. Because nobody believed that uh, it's, it was Russia from Russian uh, uh, weapons uh, shot down. Apart from and the Dutch Safety Board. All, uh, the Dutch Safety Board said it was a Russian missile. In, in all investigation missile. of such kind, all real and material evidence should be collected together. But what but we Russian know... Russian-backed separatists wouldn't allow investigators to approach the crash site. Hmm? The separatists backed by Russia wouldn't allow investigators to access the not crash site. Not at all. It's the other way around. That's not what the investigators say. They were neglected say. and they, they were rejected. Even and all these uh, the, um, parts of uh, the rem remnants of, of the plane so why were did ignored Russia and left there. So the UN there, Security so Council veto to block an investigation of the kind you say you want? Not the investigation because it proposed a, a multifaceted with all participants, but that was without Russia. They prevented Russia from that. So you think Accusing Russia, Russia and pre pre preventing that. So we were all for, 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 for this investigation, such a tragedy. So. Okay, let's go back to our audience. Gentleman here in the second row, do you want to wait for a microphone to come to you? Hello, my name is Alexander. I'm also from Russia and uh, I know that uh, people support government in Russia and put Putin is a very popular figure there. So I'm wondering, where to, what do you think is the source of the, all this criticism coming from? Isn't it just Western Central world tried to impose the, their own opinion to Russia, which is a very different country? No, uh, for instance, if every uh, newspaper in England or in Europe, uh, every radio station, every radio pr program produces only facts of how many journalists were killed, etc., etc., when your news programs do not give a single positive element of Russian life, then of course uh, people uh, abroad think that Russia starts thinking because thinking yeah, now a, is a, not popular. You're just absorbing what is... That's a very, that's a very fair point. Let me put that to Masha. Masha, so, you would so, accept, you're a critic of the Putin government, you would accept that the Western media doesn't exactly cover Russia in the fairest of ways? Well, I wouldn't say so. I, I, I mean, I think uh, Western media probably doesn't go in all the detail. Western media is very superficial. But I would not say it is unfair. And I think that uh, lots of things 
that are concealed from people in Russia are brought out in the West. That's what Western journalism has to do. How can one conceal now with this? Uh, we, we live all in information societies. Uh, well, even actually, if there's massive crackdowns on the internet in Russia, banned, Natalia, as which you know. is not Natalia, as you know, internet. well-documented massive crackdowns on the internet in Russia. Not everybody okay. has internet in Russia. I'm guessing no. you don't agree. Let's go back to the audience here, gentlemen in the third row. Uh, do you think Russia and uh, Putin's criminal regime has a right to break international law, shoot down civil, civilian airplanes, um, occupy territory of sovereign neighbor states? Um, actually, for actions like that, they should be facing um, trial in the international court of law. And don't you think that actually Russia is much more resembling Nazi Germany right now than Ukraine? Because it's not Ukraine that, is, that it has an authoritarian state that occupies territory of its neighbors and, and poses as a real threat to the whole world. <laughs> Can you respond to that? I detest anyone speaking such language against my country. I never, I never, I would never uh, allow myself to use such language uh, against uh, official government. I was in a position oh, to Yeltsin, but I never. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Earlier you were suggesting that extremists were behind everything that happened in Ukraine. You don't mind chucking extremists, the Nazi, Nazi label, extremist label at Ukrainians, but Ukrainians shouldn't throw it back I at the Russians. I said about torch processions, about fascism in, in Ukraine, but I never called Ukrainian government criminal regime. Okay, let's go back to the audience. Uh, let's go to the back. Let's go gentlemen there. Yes, you. My feeling is that most of the reproach we are doing to Russia today, we could do them to China, to Israel, to many other countries. Do you think the reason why people are so focused about Russia is because they are basically contesting the, publicly the politics of the West? Uh, and they are having a geopolitical role, a bit like Iran or some other countries. Do you think that if they were just focusing on their you know, politics and were not really annoying the Western powers, people wouldn't talk really about Russia? Well, uh, not only that, but of course it's a very easy now. Human rights issues now, democracy, the state, it's, it has become long ago an instrument of uh, external pressure on uh, different countries. Okay, any more questions? Gentlemen here in the front row. Um, uh, I'm Abdullah, I'm, I'm a Syrian activist. I just want to ask, uh, after ignoring the Free Syrian Army for more than three years, is, is Russia going to recognize them in, in order to give the future uh, ceasefire talk after Geneva a chance to success? Uh, what I have heard recently uh, from the news and what I know is that Russia is ready, is and not only ready, but already is in, con with, in contact with some parts of Syrian free okay. uh, army and opposition, because our official position, even on Geneva talks, is to have as many participants and actors in domestic uh, okay. well, uh, future process as, as possible. Lady here in the front row, then I will go back to that lady in the back. Hi, you mentioned demonization before of citizens, of Russia's own citizens, and um, I, as a Russian, one of my greatest sources of shame about my country is the way that it treats its sexual minorities. The rights of these minorities are curtailed, and the atmosphere that the government cultivates is one that supports and endorses the violence and aggression that they face every day. Do you believe that um, the Russian people deserve a right to express their love publicly, in, regardless of their sexual orientation? Mm -hmm. I understand. Well, that's certainly the issue. 
where you can't speak without being labeled immediately someone, uh, you misinterpret, you probably refer to the law against uh, gay propaganda, yes? But it only uh, added gay propaganda to general sexual propaganda, which was per forbidden um, among the minors. You can't sell books about it, you know, cartoons and pornography next to schools, etc. You can't have films. Okay, but it's not just present. about laws and guidelines. No. Human Rights Watch says anti-LGBT vigilante groups attacked LGBT people across Russia over the past year with little response from the police. The police turns a blind eye when people are being attacked in I Russia. Your fellow that, Russians. No, I know that. Uh, I remember the, a case when uh, this law was adopted, uh, all uh, the parliament was surrounded by uh, supporters of the law, and when the LGBT uh, representatives ca came, so they were throwing eggs, uh, foul eggs, etc. So, so well, nothing more. But more than believe just me, uh, Russian uh, gays and such that have uh, they published their magazines, they have their hairdressers saloons. Once I just incidentally dropped into one, and uh, it's, it's, uh, incidentally asked, I had money there and I even helped one American gay who couldn't explain to the hairdressers okay. how his uh, hair uh, should be dyed, With respect to your experience as a hairdresser, so the point it, is that it, human they, rights they, groups they, have documented they, violence they, 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 against no LGBT people. Violence, okay, that no say, more that's violence. That's what you say, human rights no rights more violence. The majority uh, still in Russia thinks it's a sin, like your probably grandmothers. Uh, okay, uh, let's go did. to this lady here in the front row. Given that Russia is, as you've said before, such a large supporter of self-determination for the historical and ethnic minorities of Ukraine, would Russia be extending that same support of self-determination to the historic and ethnic minorities of Syria? I think it's a very complex, uh, complex issue. Uh, I, I have no opinion on that because that's why the Turkish position is so dubious and double standard because they fear Kurd movements uh, more than ISIL and so, etc. So it, uh, that is why in Geneva talks everybody agreed that Syrian state should remain. Gentlemen, there, can't keep your points as brief as possible. We're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you. Um, uh, a question about imperialism. Uh, Russian uh, political elites and academic elites, including yourself, uh, like to deride the West for its alleged imperialism. Uh, then you turn around and hypocritically uh, use the same rhetoric that, re that is reminiscent of sort of the worst times of Western colonialism. You know, you, you talk about the continuity and the restoration of the Russian Empire borders. You question the historical right of the Baltic states to independence, etc. How do you square the circle of this uh, intellectual schizophrenia where there is this sort of love-hate relationship okay. to imperialism? Well, I'm not schizophrenic, of course. Uh, so uh, we are not who declared the goal of restoring Russian, Russian Empire's borders. So this is the first time I, I hear such a way. Okay, so you don't believe that Russia should be stronger or more powerful than the Soviet Union? No, no, Russia should be strong exactly as much 
as it's needed to be to stay Russia and nobody attacks it. Okay, we've run out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for coming on Head to Head here in the Oxford Union. Thanks to our panel for joining us and contributing. Thanks to our audience here in the Oxford Union. Head to Head will be back next week here in the Oxford Union. Good night.